right, welcome back to the Wilma podcast. This is the 20th time we've tried to start this podcast. Um, my name's Sarah Good Medicine. This is the Wilma podcast, the White Lives Matter Always podcast, where we describe how in our society white lives matter always, and the rest of us just matter sometimes. I'm your co-host, Sarah Good Medicine, she, her pronouns. And I'm Stephen Wright. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. And this is our last podcast recording for uh, the year, possibly for the Wilma podcast. Uh, so we just want to say thank you to everybody who's been with us so far. And um, it's been a very interesting ride. And I'm sure we'll get some reflections as we go through the uh, podcast. I just feel like today, if you're comfortable, Steve, we just won't do a land acknowledgement. I just think that maybe unless you want to jump in and say something i just don't really feel like doing one today no no i'm okay yeah um but we are coming at you from treaty 7 so what's up i wanted to start off today uh first of all we got some nice violin going in the background there um so shout out to the uh, violin player here uh we're in uh which mar- which farmers Calgary market? Calgary Farmers Market. Yeah, the one over by Costco and Deerfoot Meadows, and um, you know, as I walked in, I seen mostly white folks. I seen a few Asian folks. I think I seen one Native person, um, and you could feel that. I remember I was standing outside having a cigarette, and white people that were walking by, uh, whether coming from the farmers market or uh, going into the farmer's market would like see me have this like slight look of fear, whether they were, it was the transness or the, the nativeness that was triggering them. And then they would walk way far away, like out of their way. Like they like, like walk around you. Yes. Uh, so that's sort of how I started here, you know? So th- I think that does say something. Um, but I wanted to start off by sharing a story that recently somebody who I know um, in the music world, I had, um, I listened to a a lot of their curation and I had reached out to them and just said like, hey, I noticed that you're playing a lot of white folks music. And, uh, And they didn't really feel like it was relevant at first and then they were sort of justifying it and then they gave me some ratios that were just terrible. Uh, and they said, you know, but I also think it was kind of interesting because I, th- I don't know what the racial d- uh, spread is in Canada, um, but up to half of what this person was playing on their platform was white folks and maybe and one of the things they said was this might be a good representation of Canada like maybe this is just what's coming out of Canada and so I don't know like when I was listening to that I thought I don't know if that matters but I don't know yeah I don't know do you have any thoughts about that like yeah actually I do (laughs) (laughs) I hope I'm not. I don't disturb a lot of the white folks out there, but I really <laughs> think that, away. that uh, demographically, Canada, um, 
our, our population has, has sort of transformed, and so we have a large number of immigrants that have come to Canada from entirely different cultures. So when they say, well, that's representative of Canada, the white music, I think that's representative of all the big social media companies and radio stations that are actually owned and operated by white folks. Yes, and gee, that's such a good point that you bring that up because I was at a conference this week for artists um, that are interested in music. It was supposed to be for all like producers, promoters, um, singer-songwriters, you know, all different kinds of artists, but um, ended up being mostly uh, recording artists or performing artists. And every time that we were in the room, the authority, whether it had been a label, uh, whether it was um, the workshop facilitator, or um, the content experts, they were all white. Uh, and there was also uh, festival runners, people who, like, they wanted to talk about, like, how do you get into festivals? Which is a great con, you know, I'm glad that I went and I'm glad I learned it. But I remember just looking and seeing, like, all of these folks are white. And, like, we are looking at the industry, and if we want to make it in this industry, we better not make them uncomfortable is sort of what I was thinking. Obviously, they have the power. Yes. I just think that in th that comment that, you know, that's the, the, the what people want to listen to and that's what represents Canada, I think, is a good example of, uh, of, of a racist attitude where you're just assuming this because that's, that's the farthest thing from the truth. Like, you think maybe... I sort of felt this, but, like, this is... I'm wondering what you think, like, you feel like they were defending their racism. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's so far from so the truth. So let's say I'm just wondering what you think, because I was really going through a process of of just thinking through this. Like, did like I was really questioning, like, am I being racist in like by by participating? Well, just pointing it out or whatever. I don't know. I was just wondering, like, could I be in the wrong here? Could I be out of line saying something? And uh, which I think happens a lot of times when you interrupt racism is that you then question, am I the one who's the problem? Uh, no. or, you know, but one of the things that came up that I was wondering is, well, if, if let's say for instance, you know, the population is half white, let's just say that is, Shh. we do live in a structurally white supremacist society. So does that mean that we should, but we should still go for equal, like if they're, if they're, if each race is, you know, a percentage or whatever, should the music represent that percentage? You know, because what I said, you know, is I, s well, anyways, yeah, I'll say what I think after, but what do you think about that? Like if, 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 if we were racially proportionate with our music, representation yeah. and we are predominantly white should we just be playing predominantly white music um no actually I like I why do you th why do you think uh, that because i think music is music right and so um i just don't go out and purchase white music that's not why i purchase what i like to hear well but that's sort of what this person was saying even is that they're you know they don't just like white music because they weren't just playing white music but what I was saying is I feel like they must really like what white music. Because they played a lot of it. Pardon me? They played a lot of it. 
Yes, and I'm sort of pointing out that I think, well, I think you have a bias. I think you do yeah, prefer no. more white music than you. Because, yeah, you no. know, we can all like different kinds. I think there's, you know, t- two things that come to mind. One is, is uh, during this journey, I've noticed that my, I, I, my view and the lens I look at things, there's more of a critical aspect to it. And so I've been a strong proponent of the Calgary Folk Festival for decades, going on probably 20 years. I volunteered there. Yeah. This year, the one thing I noticed as I walked around, the first thing I thought was, there's a lot of white folk here. Yeah. A lot. A lot, <laughs> and so dangerous amount. But then I thought this is this is <laughs> disconcerting to me, because the the Calgary Folk Festival and I'm sure other folk festivals pride themselves on bringing in talent from different countries and different cultures. So there's something that felt icky about that. Well, it's it's, it's kind of messy when you think that the people that run the Calgary Folk Festival are all white. So to me, it's like is it tokenism? If, if, if it was really multicultural, you'd see a lot more representation of different cultures and, and di- people from different countries yeah. attending the folk festival. Sorry. Maybe that maybe people will say, well, I don't agree with you, Steve. I think it's different. But that's what I saw, and that's what I felt. You know, and I think that brings up a good point, too, is that when we're talking about violences that we have internalized, you know... So I think this is a great point, or a great moment to bring this up, is that on, during the last podcast recording, there was a comment that we made, Steve and I, and we both kind of laughed at it, um, at the word uh, terrorist. And I don't think anybody would have said that, you know, our intent, regardless of whatever it was, was to be hurtful. But, uh, you know, when we listened to it back, I remember th- feeling something that I didn't like the way that it came out and maybe that was me you know protecting my image you know but I also think maybe also like if I was somebody from Arab descent who is oppressed by that word um, I would feel some kind of way about it you know I would probably feel not good about the way we had said that and maybe I'm wrong maybe or maybe that's only a you know, s- some Arab people would feel like that, but I just wanted to say, you know, from uh, our position of doing the podcast and, you know, really trying to deal with racism in a good way, to just say sorry. Like, I'm sorry to our listeners um, that, you know, that part of my racism came out. Um, I don't even know if that's the right way to say it, but I am sorry for the people. Um, that I think that I hurt and um, is fucked up. Arab people for a very long time, you know, uh, for a number of years have been labeled terrorists. Like, and in a way I can relate in a way because if you think about the Oka crisis with native people, they were considered terrorists in their own homeland. You know what I mean? And so that word terrorist really gets used in a certain way and I, and before when we were discussing these points you brought up an interesting point about that that word I think that might be worth talking about here is that who, you know well how like who, who are the real terrorists exactly and so I think you know when we were chatting about that um, I can't help but think that that uh, th- the word terrorist is used by people that are in power it's a very 
it's a very descriptive word that actually objectifies people. But then I also uh, remember reading correspondence between Britain and and other allies about how the people in the United States before they achieved independence were terrorists and there were rebels and it was a rebellion. Yes, and I feel like the white on white terrorism, you know, it's worth mentioning. Hate is hate, you know what I mean? But I think importantly what we we are trying to identify here is that white folks globally, Europeans have been practicing terrorism, taking away other people's lands. Um, You know, that's happened here. Um, Like, I think uh, 95% of the world has been colonized by Europe. You know what I mean? And that was through terrorism. Uh, Absolutely. And I think for anyone to describe what's happening in the Middle East, particularly in Palestine, is if they use the word terrorist, that's totally wrong. These are people that are just defending their land. Very much so, whether it be the Oka crisis, Exactly, Palestine. exactly. I'm glad you brought up the Oka crisis, because that's a good example where they were just defending their land. What, Suetin people in B.C. right now? Yes. Where RCMP... You know, one of the stories I heard about RCMP, I th- might have shared this on the podcast already, but was that the RCMP were created... Like, I always felt like the RCMP were created to enforce colonial law on us as Indigenous people. However... Um, I was sort of told another story that came through oral tradition, which was that they were created to sort of protect and keep the peace between these treaty partners, uh, you know, native and settlers together. Um, But that doesn't feel like it. And with the Wet'suwet'en example, for instance, like they are being terrorists, they are attacking land defenders, um, enforcing colonial law. Bullying. Bullying, yeah, it's just being pure bullying. That's what they're doing. Being a bunch of bullies, um, and I think that sort of bullying can come in different ways. You know, one of the stories I wanted to bring up today um, was that there was a white person who I facilitated a workshop for a number of people, and one of these white folks in there, um, you know, got a lot out of the workshop, which was great. But while I was doing the workshop, and I you know, would no, not like to do these kind of workshops, you know, going forward, is I really felt like I had to hold white space. There was, you know, different races of people in the room, and it really felt like the, like I had to sort of uphold white supremacy and white normalism in that room because I wasn't there to address racism and... I don't know, it just, uh, like, I don't think I totally understand that situation. But anyway, so that was the setting. This person uh, contacted me through the organizer and had already written an article that they wanted to write about me and their experiences with me and then told me the day, like, they literally, if I had not responded to them, this was in a matter of days, think I got the email one day the next day I ended up messaging them and the day after that would have been when this was published and they like luckily I had said to them hey uh, I feel really uncomfortable with people using my name or using their experiences with me and I really wished you would have asked before you wrote this um, 
and I would I please do not put this article out. And they said they wouldn't, you know, which I appreciate. But this happens, you know, a lot where, you know, like there was no consent there. And then when they did ask, it was like, okay, you have 24 hours to figure this out. Like it, it very much felt like, like they, and they seen themselves as promoting me. Do you know what I mean? But to me, that wasn't the angle. Like to me, and I feel t this sort of tokenism a lot is that they were sort of trying to they were trying to look better themselves bec because um, of their association with you. Yes. Yeah. What do you? What does that make you think? Do you see that as bullying? Like. In a, in, a form, in a way, absolutely. If like if somebody said, uh, "Here's an article I'm, I'm writing about you, and you have 24 hours to approve or not," that's kind of a form of bullying. It's like you know, put up or not. So, I'm glad you said no, but I also, and I was sort of surprised that she did not put it up. You know, well, yeah, I haven't even no. looked. Maybe they just did. Yeah. You know what I mean? Who knows? Like, but. I guess it would depend if she was, you know, the article was about the work that you've th you've done and the premise behind the event and the, but if if they were, it was just kind of profiling you. It's almost looking like it. It was broadly sort of about their experiences with me, but it, they made it a lot about me. Yeah, and I'm uncomfortable with that because I feel like I'm giving your platform a certain level of legitimacy. Yes, credibility. Yes. Yeah. No. Fuck that. Yep, it looks that way. I think we, you know, on that, I, you, I, you see that all the time. Um, you know, that's that form of tokenism, right? We're going to do just a tiny little bit. It's like our government apologizing to the indigenous people, saying mm -hmm. sorry for what happened, but not doing anything about it. You know, for real. And I feel like at the same time, they... Well, just related, I don't know, you can connect this however you want, but um, this is like a common theme in my life where I feel like white folks love me and I personally hate it. Like they, there was another person, another white person in that workshop who I felt was being violent to one of the non-white people in the group and I could feel the uncomfortableness of that non-white person catering to their ego because if they said how they really felt it would probably upset some things and um and this person came up to me afterwards and said hey i left a note in your notebook um and i just felt like they wanted me to work with them and their organization and stuff they had such a great time and i thought to myself like Yes, like you do want to work with me because you, the way the way I was in that group was not challenging your power as a white person, and people are always looking for non-white people. White folks are always looking for non-white folks to justify how not racist they are, how good of a person they are, and that and are nice to them. And they're so nice, you know what I mean. And it's economically rewarding for somebody in my position to stand up against 
uh, mm-hmm. st- sorry, mm-hmm. not stand up like to me for me to just do those things. I bet you all that work is paid work. You know, they would pay me good and all these things. And so this is like shows you how those systems reinforce those those structures. Oh, of power. Yeah, absolutely, they're very overwhelming. So, and we've shared this before, you know. But I just you know needed sort of vent a little bit that this is this happens. You know, I guess it's it's like what we were talking about before being a safe safe Indian. Um, one of the things I wanted to bring up today is that you made a, a racist comment to me recently that made me feel really uncomfortable. And I had actually sort of talked to you about it before. I'd brought it up to you before. And then even while we were discussing it, you sort of made that sentiment again and you know we don't have to get into the details of it but i'm just really wondering why like where does that come from like why is it that you feel the the need or the maybe it's not a need i don't know how to describe it but i'm just like where does that come from like why is that people like you have been making sentiments and comments like that for a really long time and I'm not saying this in a judgmental way I'm not saying you're going to hell or none of this stuff you know I don't believe in that uh you know good person bad person whatever um but it does come from somewhere and I do believe that in this process of trying to shift the way our society is it's not about blaming or finger pointing or whatever I feel it's about interrupting people's violence and dehumanizing processes whether they know it or not they're doing it and allowing ourselves to go inward and I think too when I was upset at it you know just to sort of put this on the record so to speak is that I seen myself I made comments and sentiments similar to what you had done in the past and I shared that with you you know what I mean and so I'm just curious as your you were defensive about it you know, where you think those feelings of pa- if to me, it seems like power comes from. Where does that? Well, I, th- I think really, <laughs> uh, I th- and thank you for pointing that out and bringing it up. I think that's the part about making changes is interrupting racism as it occurs. I think um, I grew up in a very white society uh, and where you were taught that that your elders and people were respected and they were the authority and they knew what they were talking about. So no doubt, I probably, when I was younger, I would take the lead of what's going on, what's acceptable, but that's still not an excuse because that's sort of of the root of the problem is is we kind of defer to what's already been established in our society. Meaning, like, being racist is established, and especially you as a white person, it's just, like, why wouldn't you feel superior to people in that way? Well, but I think that's that's an an unconscious feeling, though. So it's not something that people normally consciously think about. Well, I'm white, and therefore I'm superior, and this is the way I act. I I just don't think people have conversations about that. And that's why I think it's good to interrupt I think the use of racist words uh, has become almost normal, like slang. If you look in the dictionary, a lot of slang words have all of a sudden become legitimate, and they're real words. 
It's, so when you use racist words, like when you use the word terrorist, people automatically formulate a picture of what they think terrorist is. And so sometimes I think the words themselves are racist and we need to be really thinking clearly about why we're using them. So me using that word in conversations because I heard somebody else use it does not make it right that I use it, but I could understand the justification why people might think it's okay because they don't actually think about what it means. See, and I sort of feel what you're saying, but I, I feel like you sort of said, like to me, I just sort of heard a dual consciousness because on one hand you're saying that you do know these comments are racist. And then at the same time, you're saying, well, I didn't know they were bad or I didn't like they become. Do you know what I mean? You sort of justified it in a certain way, but you also acknowledge that it's not the right thing to do. Well, now I, I realize that it, they, they aren't appropriate words, but I think unconsciously there's still a lot of conditioning that I have to decondition in myself. So I think that's part and of the journey. And the, I just sort of don't believe you when you say it's not about like I don't think about it as power like I feel like in a well, way I think it's it is it's about our whiteness and that's that's white people don't we don't actually think about our power we just live it we use it we benefit from it but consciously we don't someone doesn't sit back and think ah I'm white so I have a lot of power Th those aren't a part of the conversations it's almost like a instinct. So when, when white, us white folks get challenged about the, our, us benefiting from our whiteness, we get defensive. It's like, how dare you say that? And that's the power coming into it. So whiteness kind of, I think, feels almost sets the tone. It's, it's kind of like it establishes what's legitimate and what isn't, and that's the danger in that. Um, and I'm not making any excuses about the words I used that were wrong, and I'm not really sure why I persist in using them. But that's part of my whiteness, maybe, thinking that if I quote somebody else using it, um, then it must be okay to use. Yeah, like there's something in there that when you want to make racist comments, that if you're quoting somebody else, it's okay. Yeah. And I don't know where that comes from. Whether well, it's because I, I think they have legitimacy or, or power. I do feel like... I don't totally believe you when you say you don't know where it's coming from, but I do... And I feel like... I think that's also an authentic feeling that you're going through. And I also feel like you're going to reflect on this, as you do with most things. And you're going to see where this comes from. And I yeah. think you're going to see a lot more autonomy and choice around it than you wanted to sort of admit in the first place. That's sort of how I feel about it. <laughs> That's a good way to describe it. I like that. So you're right. I'm probably going to reflect on it. And I'll probably look at it and think, well, that's a choice I made. Um, so it's a good example of where words can be used to really oppress people, and we actually don't take time to think about them. Yeah, because you don't have to. Of course I don't. I'm, I'm I a white guy. And, and I th 
but and I just feel there is a certain air of you're being you're sort of off the hook in some ways by saying I don't have to think about it because I'm white. I don't know. There's something I don't like well, in there, but I'm just I'm not. Yeah, maybe I'm not using good words. I'm white, and so I don't. I'm not put in a position where I need to think about it. It doesn't come up in a classroom. I it doesn't come up in. I feel like discussions. it's just sort of like. In a way, what you're saying is a victim perspective because you're saying, well, I don't, because of other reasons, I didn't know that. But I feel like in our gut, we do know. We it. do know. And I think, like, lots of times. It's like intuitively. Yes. And I think power and who you truly are in your spirit, you knew that your power came from dehumanizing other people in a in a way i think you do know and you did know but i'm not saying it to be like blaming you i'm just saying at some point we we just have to say this is what it is and i did have those thoughts and you know for some reason i don't know why but we try and protect our innocence and i feel like it's got a lot to do with white supremacy and i don't know how else to say it but i just think that's the the truth that's another topic for a future discussion <laughs> innocence and white supremacy yes well we've talked about it on the yeah. show before but um you know and i guess like i was bringing up before is that my frustration with the comments that you were making is that i've made those comments before that i feel those comments inside of myself i feel gross and I think if I use that understanding that our perception is a mirror, and if I'm mad at you for saying those things, I am sort of mad at myself in a certain way. And I can tell you that for certain that that's happening when I'm upset you're be saying those things or being in that certain way, that the f emotional chargedness of it hits in that way. Hit, like it does, and so, you know, the thing is I am a racist. I'm a racist, you're a racist, everybody is conditioned to be racist, and what that means to me is that you're part of the problem, you are the problem, yes. I'm a part of the problem, I am the problem, and that means we are all a part of the problem. And if we can get over this sort of sense of innocence that we were just men mentioning, that we need to prove ourselves as innocent, and get to a place where we can acknowledge that we have internalized violence, we act on that violence, we benefit from that violence. Um, I think when we look inward at those things, that that's when we can become a part of the solution. That's what I believe, that's what I feel in my gut, and I'm not saying it's easy or fun or whatever, but it is about liberation in a certain way in yourself, that if, I think Martin Luther King has a quote. There's other quotes about it where it's like, you know, um, like nobody can be free until we're all free. There is a certain entrapment for all of us. So, yeah, what do you think about that? You're part of the problem. I'm part of the problem. We're all a part of the problem. And we're just playing this game of trying to prove we're innocent and we're not a part of the problem. No, absolutely. I was just sort of, I was fixated on, it was a good way to describe it, is innocence, right? And so 
that resonates with me. Absolutely. It's like, no, I'm not racist. I'm innocent. I'm just, I'm just me. I'm Steve. Um, and so, you know, by, by me denying that I'm racist is really just sort of reinforcing that I'm innocent. And in, in, in our society, I don't know what it's like in other society, innocence is a really desirable quality. It's yeah. what we sort of aspire to be, right? And no one likes to feel tainted. And the reality is, is, is that, yeah, we are tainted. I am a racist. I've definitely benefited from my races. I've had racist attitudes, and I've been racist towards people. And will continue to. Yes. And I'll continue to have to reflect, and I'll continue on doing stupid things and think, that was another dumbass <laughs> thing to do. And so why you did it. It's part of all that conditioning, I think. It's, it's like we really, I like your idea that we're all part of the problem and the only way to change is to become all yeah. part of the solution. I have to just say to, it's not my idea. <laughs> Shout out Tracy Nielsen for the dialogue classes and uh, the books that Tracy suggests, like Freedom from the Known um, from Krishnamurti, uh, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, uh, by Paolo Freire, um, James Baldwin, uh, The Fire Next Time. Like, these are all books that shifted a lot. And being in those dialogues, reading those books, thinking about that, it's like it's in all of us. And these writers are really trying to tell us in that way. So it's not, I just want to say it's not, these are not my ideas. This is just, these are ideas that are helping me to humanize myself and other people. And that's what this podcast to me has been, is me pouring love. I think it's been two-way, but it's definitely a lot of labor on this end of pouring love into you, you know, to, because I, you know, I am speaking to myself in some way. While you are white in your skin uh, and we're all white in our consciousness, you know what I mean? There, I don't know really how to say it, but I do feel like I am... I've been doing my best and will continue to try um, and just to do that through love to address. And, you know, I know you said some people say I come across as direct, which makes sense. But it's it's direct because it, it to me it's out of love. I guess that's all I want to say about that. And, um, yeah. Any final words here? Last recording of our... Well, you know what? I actually... Here's something I've been thinking about is I started on this journey, these podcasts, and I thought my eyes were wide open that, hey, okay, I'm going to be prepared for that. But it's been, it has been a real eye-opener for me. I actually wanted to do the podcast because I wanted to examine why, why I felt that I was sucked in and I, I, I was conditioned. And I, I but just you didn't have those words, I think. No, I had no... It, uh, well, of course not. And so this, these po podcasts are good because we're having discussion and dialogue, which is followed by reflection, right? And then we and then we continue this. And I think that's the only way to make changes is by having discussion and dialogue. And the process for me has been really enlightening. Um, and not... I, wa I won't say desirable, yeah. but I will say that it's it's been... 
I've gotten a lot off my chest and I've thought an awful lot and I don't think I could have done it all by myself without doing these podcasts. Well, we can't. I think that's part of it is we can't do this. We think that like that's definitely a Western white supremacist model of learning is that, you know, you go off and do it on your own. But when it comes to addressing our humanity, yeah. you can't, our shared humanity, you can't do that. It's in principle, you can't do it alone. And I think one thing I just wanted to bring up is that we had sort of discussed, we released a story on, on the Wilma uh, Instagram saying that um, you had brought up that you felt the process was traumatizing, but it sounded more like what you were saying was you were trying to say that it felt traumatizing, but it, do you want to just re-explain why, sure. yeah, w- like why it feels traumatizing to be human hum- yeah. humanized well i just want to backtrack a bit i think i wanted to do the podcast because i was traumatized when i came to that conclusion that i was racist right my feelings of f- still going through that trauma and feeling my feelings of feeling traumatized are based by the things that i discover in myself that aren't exactly desirable or they're just not really nice qualities yeah, I, f- I do feel I still have a hard time with the wor- like you saying you were traumatized by given power, but I do feel maybe this is what you're trying to say. And so tell me if this resonates as true, is that you feel violated that you have been sort of indoctrinated with hatred and, you know, through conditioning. Is that? Yeah. That I, I was sucked in. I just, I felt like violated is a good example. It's like, what the heck? Where did that come from? When did that happen? Yeah. You know, it was never a conscious thing. It just w- sort of occurred. And so the process for me, I'm not going to lie. I'd lie to you if I said it was great, it was lovely, <laughs> and lots of fun. That, that would be actually disrespecting what we've been doing. And it has been heart-wrenching sometimes discovering things, things when I've, discovered that I've hurt people or people have felt hurt by what I've said yeah. or done, of course. Of course that's going to be hard. But do you feel like maybe those were the learning pains or growing pains, but that in seeing how you were dehumanizing yourself and especially other people, that your relationships with people, especially non-white people, or even, I guess, white people too, can be more genuine because you're you're it's more something i don't know no you're absolutely right i feel my relationships with people that aren't white um, is different because i'm really conscious of my whiteness when engaging with people and and i'm i'm really i'm it's hard to describe but i'm really sensitive about how i act and and what my genuine feelings are it's hard to describe it's like we were doing that podcast with with our friend Jennifer and she shared a few things that was pretty heart-wrenching for me I had a good cry when I got in the car yeah because who wants to hurt someone that you care deeply about so I had to I really struggled with with that and my my whiteness it was a struggle and you do well I guess do I guess it's a good example of a duality of our mind is that you do care about her but also, what was brought up with you is that, that you don't care about those things, and that 
dealing with that dual consciousness, I think, is, is a part of that. Yeah, and I've done the same with you. When you've tried to explain things to me and I got defensive and pushed back. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, and it, uh, it, those times are heart-wrenching. So my point is, on my journey, I know that it's going to be painful sometimes. Uh, I'm going to feel ashamed. Uh, and there, there isn't an end destination. That's life. We're, I we're exactly where we're meant to be all the time, right here. Well, thank you so much for being on this journey with us, listeners. Um, it's been a very interesting experience for myself, um, diving into myself in this way. And, um, yeah, I just want to say thank you. Thank you, Steve, for exploring this, you know, uh, being vulnerable, kicking and screaming sometimes. But, you know, uh, I think our relationship you know, has grown from this in a way that it just couldn't have before unless we, I'm sure we could have gone through this process of connecting deeper without a podcast, but I think the nature of being in the public's eye with our relationship does s sort of create a different dynamic that we're not hiding. No. Our... I would like just to point out laundry. one observation is again, once again, we've sort of emptied the area around us. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely came up a lot. Yeah. Right. Thanks, I was everyone. I was feeling uncomfortable with that. Yes. Thanks, everyone. Uh, at the Wilma Podcast uh, on Instagram, at the Wilma Podcast on Twitter, uh, the Wilma Podcast at gmail.com for our email. And um, thank you. <laughs>